This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. He came to this earth. He didn't have to. He came and he paid the price. He came and he shed his blood for my sins and for yours. He came and redeemed us. He paid the wages of sin and he bought us back. Glory to God. Amen. It's a wonderful truth that he has saved us and he has changed us and he, he's changing us day by day and he's doing a mighty work in our lives and we are changing our hopes are changing and our dreams are changing and our ambitions are changing and our character is changing and our circumstances are changing and God is changing us and it's amazing. How does God do it? Change us and transform us. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. And you know what the amazing thing is? We've never seen him. We've never actually laid our eyes upon him. We've never seen him as the disciples did or as uh, anyone in the, who was in Jerusalem at the time or in the area that he was about. No, we haven't seen him. We haven't actually witnessed him with our eyes. So much of life is all about what you can see. Nowadays, we can see so much. When we go online, you go to YouTube, you go to wherever, and you can see all manner of, of things. And yet, we have never seen him. We have never looked upon him, and, and we never seen him walk in those streets of Jerusalem. We never seen firsthand how he reacted with people, how he interacted with people. How, you know, what's amazing? We have, you know, Peter actually is shocked at that. And you've read the, in Peter's epistle, he's going like, we believe because we have seen him, we have touched him, we have felt him, we had dinner with him. But you believe and you haven't seen him. It's amazing. God is amazing. How, why? Why do we believe him? We've never seen him. What? It just, it blows your mind. We've never actually laid eyes on him. And yet, and yet, oh, we love him. Oh, and yet we adore him. And yet we worship him and we lift his name up high. Oh, what? We haven't seen him. And yet to us, he is everything. He is our all in all. He is precious to us. It's a wonder. It's, it's the wonder of the ages, how God could do that to us, change us in such a way that we would be enthusiastic for him. And yet we've never seen him. But the day is coming. The day is coming, soon and very soon. Soon and very soon, the trumpet of the Lord will sound. Oh, praise the Lord. The trumpet of the Lord will sound, and those who are dead will be uh, dead in Christ will be raised to meet him in the air. Then we who remain will be caught up to meet him in the air, and we will be with him. And then we'll see him. Then we'll see him face to face. And we'll see those marks in his hands. And we'll see that mark in his side. And we'll look at him and we'll know it's him. And we'll be going, oh, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Oh, praise the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that exciting? That we shall see him. There was the old song. I absolutely love it. And I only remember the chorus. We shall behold him face to face in all of his glory. We shall see him face to face and we shall know him. It's a wonder of the ages. It's a wonder how we, we will know him. That is the wonder that God has done in us. It is absolutely fabulous to know. You have your Bibles with you tonight. 
I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. It's a very well-known parable of the Lord's um, that he gave to the disciples. But I want us to look at it again. Matthew 25, verse 1. And it says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom delayed, bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut." Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Hang on, Jason. We were just celebrating that we were going to see Christ. We were just celebrating there for a second that we would see him. What, why did you bring us on a downer and bring us to this passage shouldn't we just keep bouncing on highs? Shouldn't we just keep going, you know, keep praising, praising, praising? Well, we have to remember these verses are here for our admonition and for our warning. We have to be aware that these verses are here and they've got something to say to us, something to speak to us and to tell us about ourselves and about God and about the things to come. All these virgins came together and they were similar in many ways. They all slept. They all had lamps. They all trimmed their lamps. And so the outward appearance, they all appeared very similar. They all appeared to go through the same motions. And you would say in some ways they were very alike. But there's a warning in it. I can remember in a youth I was in years ago, uh, my dad's in, in Glengormley. We used to travel around various churches and uh, we had, uh, we'd go and we'd do some sketches back when it was popular to do sketches. And we'd do some singing and we'd usually sing a Carmen song and it involved clapping like that there, you know, and it was all the, the rage in the 80s. <laughs> and I can remember the very first time I ever took part in a sketch or what we would call now as a drama. I had the silliest lines, but it was just, and it was a silly, silly sketch. But it involved four people along the front with the main person who's going to be doing the, the speaking. And as he would talk, at various points, we would interrupt. There was a trigger word that we'd be listening for. And when he got to the trigger word, the first time what we would do is we would start running around like cars, making noises, and, he, and make it so loud that he had to stop speaking. And then he would do is he would say, so okay, okay, hop, stop, stop. And he would stop us, settle us down and see what he's doing. And we would say, I'm a car. And what makes you a car? Well, I've got wheels. Well, I've got a horn. What I've got... And then we'd go on and next we'd settle down and the next trigger word, the trigger word would come up again. And this time we'd be ducks and we'd run around, quack, 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 quack. And he'd say, what makes you think you're a duck? And we'd run around and say, well, I've got webbed feet. Uh, we'd never admit that. <laughs> or we've got wings or I quack or whatever. And he said, that doesn't make you a duck. 
And the final one we would always come to would be when the trigger word came up, we would start praising God. We'd go, amen, praise the Lord, amen, glory to God, you know. And he'd go, what are you doing? What is that? And the point of the story was, he'd say, what, makes you, what are you doing? Well, we're Christians. What makes you think you're a Christian? We could say, what makes you think you're one of these wise virgins? What makes you think you're one of these ones? Well, you know, I tithe. Well, I go to church. Well, I read the Bible. And he said, that doesn't make you a Christian. It's more than that. You know, these foolish virgins, they're notable because their lamps were going out. There might have been a little bit of oil in it. Chances are, as I thought about it and as I was reading commentaries, and I thought to myself, you know what? It's probably just the wick. They said it's going out, but it's probably just the wick, the fibers of it being consumed. Just the fabric being burnt up. But this is a warning from Christ to the church, to those who go to church, to those who claim to be Christians. And I'm not here to judge anyone, I'm not to, but I, have that, I am challenged by this word myself. And I think it's healthy for believers to evaluate where they stand. I don't mean their salvation as far as God is concerned, but to evaluate where they are as far as the return of the Lord, to evaluate how they actually are living as a believer. Am I really living as I claim to live? Am I living like Christ is everything to me? Do I really believe that he is coming back? Do I really believe that he has commissioned me to take the good news into all the world? Do I really believe those things? And it's good for us to consider these things. You know, I picture these, these here foolish virgins, you know, as the, 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 the shout goes out, the bridegroom comes, the bridegroom comes. I picture them going like, oh, no, we're burning out. And the, the, the wise virgin sending them off, go find someone that sells oil, go find something. And as they wander off, their, their, their oil lamps flicker in their last as they disappear into the dark, banging on doors, looking for something that they could have got in abundance before. They could have got it in abundance earlier when the time was right, when the day was upon them. But they had been foolish. They hadn't been wise. There's so much symbolism and so much things that we can look at in this passage, but I'm only using this as a, as a starting point for where I want to go. Obviously, the idea of this passage and Jesus is telling the disciples is this is a time of grace. This is a time where we prepare. Now, he hasn't actually at this point, obviously, been taken up. He hasn't ascended into heaven. He hasn't even, you know, and he's just about to, and he's telling them this is, what's, this is what it's going to be like in the end times. This is going to be like in the end days before I come again. You know, this is a period of grace in which we have to prepare, that we have to get ready, that we have to, to seek him with all our hearts, to serve him with all our might. And the day is coming when the bridegroom will come back and our ability to get oil after that will be severely curtailed. The options is to serve God now, prepare now. Not whenever the cry goes out. Not whenever one day comes and I'll finally be good enough or I'll finally have enough free time. The call is to go out and serve him now. To be his people now. And prepare now. 
We have an enemy who conspires against us, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Our own flesh would have us give up on things and, ah, you know, I'll only go to church once on a Sunday. You know, ah, maybe, I'll, maybe once in a while I'll think about going to the prayer meeting. Ah, once in a while I'll, I'll, I'll read the Bible on a Sunday. Maybe that's enough. You know, maybe that's all I need to do to be a Christian. And I'm not saying it's to be a Christian, but that's all I need to do just to keep ticking over, just to keep ticking over. But you know what? I'd be honest, that's not enough for me. That's not enough for me. I need something more than that. I need him to be my all in all because I've seen the other options. I've seen the other types of oil I could put in my lamp and they're not good enough. They're not up to standard. They don't cut the mustard. I need him and I need him. I need a relationship with him. I need his word. I need to seek his face. I need to pray like he's coming back tonight. What do we want to be found doing when he comes? Wasting our time, sleeping. I want to be found serving him, seeking him. Yes, maybe, maybe come back when I'm at the cinema. You know, that doesn't matter. But you know what? He'll know my heart. He'll know what I've been doing before that. He'll know what I've been doing after that. He'll know what I've been doing all week. He'll know that this is just a, you know, that my life is a life of service. That's what I want, him to come back and to see my life as a life of service to him. I don't want him to come back and see my life as a foolish waste. You know, we talk a lot about the end times. These are the last days. We talk about it all the time. Every church service we go to, practically not quite, but you know, we go to church service and we hear it all the time. These are the last days. Oh, look at the TV. Look at the news. Oh, look at YouTube. Look at Facebook. Oh, the terrible things that are happening in the world. And there is terrible things happening. But do we merely just nod at it and go, yes, it's the last days. Oh, look at that. Two farmers staring at a bull in a field, a bit of corn in their mouth, and they're going, ah, some bull that. Is that all we do? But does does the, the, the idea of these are the last days not do something to us? Does it not put some sort of urgency in us? Does it not put some sort of excitement in us? Watchfulness is as important, if not more important, than knowing the season. To know the season is good, but to prepare for the season is so much better. We just had Christmas there. I knew it was Christmas. Oh, I knew it was Christmas. Was it the the week before, two weeks before, before December, we had the tree up? Not quite the middle of November, but almost. I knew it was Christmas. I was well aware that it was Christmas. Sharon was recording on, uh, on the Skybox all the, the Christmas 24 movies. She watched one today. She, mm-hmm. She's been praying for me. <laughs> but you know what? I knew Christmas was coming. That would have done nothing, nothing for Christmas presents. I had to go out and prepare for it. I had to go out and do something. Oh, but hang on. This is, you're not talking works, Jason, are you? You're not talking works, are you? Oh, no, you don't. Don't be talking works. That's legalism. I'm not talking works. I'm not talking works. But we can take grace to the point where we, we divorce ourselves of responsibility, where we can leave responsibility somewhere else and say, you know what? I walk in grace now. I don't have to be a believer who does this, this, and this. 
you know what? The old paths and the old ways are still the only ways. They're still the only ways. God hasn't changed. Our society has changed. Our way of living has changed. Our way of reading the Bible has changed with all these apps and all these commentaries and all these things we can do, but God hasn't changed. He can still be reached in the same ways he can, he's always been reached. You know, that's a wonderful truth. It's wonderful for us to know that. So whenever Jesus gave us these warnings about the end times, it wasn't to let us sort of, okay, that's okay. We can kick back now. I'll buy the farm. I'll chew this corn. I'll look at the bull in the field and I'll say it's the end times. It wasn't that at all. It was for us to know that the end is coming. What do you do if you're in the sprint? If you're in the 100 yards dash, at the last 10 yards, you don't lay off the gas. You don't sit back and go, whew, we cruised it. Have you seen, I've seen, I was watching a YouTube video recently about the cyclist. He's running and he's cycling along and within 10 yards, he's got the arms up and someone scoots past him. That's not why Christ told us that the end times are coming and look for these signs and, and all the rest. That's not why he did that. He told us that, to, that's it. You see the signs, now push in, push harder, keep going, keep racing in. He's still there for us. We watch those videos sometimes, you know. I mentioned the bull, but I mean, we watch those videos sometimes on YouTube with car crashes. They all seem to be in Russia for some reason. And you're watching it and you're looking at the speed that they're going along and you're, you know, and it's like the church. It's, it's so like us. We're watching it and you're fixated on it. And you're going like, he's going too fast. It, it, I know this is a video called Ultimate Crashes and he's going too fast. It's going to be a crash. I don't know who's going to crash. And we're fixated on it. And you're waiting and you're watching it. We shouldn't be like that. We shouldn't be like that. Yes, that's a bit of fun, but you know, we should be the people who are standing, you know what? These are the times and seasons. Stop, stop, come back, return, repent. Come and know the Christ that we know. Have your life changed. Come meet the one that we adore. It's a good choice of, uh, Johnny, good choice of course is there tonight. God is good, praise the Lord. Turn over in your scriptures and the scriptures there to John chapter nine. John chapter nine. Praise you, Lord. John chapter nine, verse number one, it says, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, in the world I am the light of the world. Let me just stop there. Again, Jesus is highlighting a period of grace. Yes, this is before, obviously, he's, been, he's ascended into heaven, but this is the period of grace we live in now. He didn't stop working when he ascended into heaven. The scriptures clearly tell us that he works even harder now. It says he ever lives to make intercession for us. 
but this is the period of grace. And he's talking about, this is the window. This is the daylight. This is day for us to serve God, to do what we can now because night is coming and we're not gonna have an opportunity. But this is the day to celebrate and rejoice in what God has done in our lives, to exalt him to our friends and families. You know what? It's even easier now to tell people about their sinful nature, about the way of the world. And the reason why I say that is it doesn't take a genius to say, did you see the TV last night? Did you see the newspaper? Did you see what happened here? It's terrible the way mankind is so bad to himself. Why men kill men, men kill babies. People do so much terrible things in the world. But let me tell you about a savior. Let me tell you about one who came to pluck you from the, the, the depths of sin and to raise you up and change your life and save you. Let me tell you about one who does a wonderful work and can do a wonderful work in your life. That is the message of the day of grace. The day of grace is all about Christ. It's all about lifting him up. He says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. If I be lifted up, we lift him up and we glorify him and we praise him. This is something to wonderful, to rejoice in. This is the day of grace. Thank the Lord it's daylight. Thank you, Lord, that it's still day, that the night has not come. Thank you, Lord, that the day of judgment hasn't arrived yet. Praise the Lord. That is wonderful news. That's glorious news. Jesus is saying here in this parable, this is the day. This is the time to rejoice in it, to tell the world about it. This is the time to be excited about it. This is not the time to doze and sort of have a wee think about it. This is a day that the Lord has made us. Mr. Schuler used to say, <laughs> let us rejoice and be glad in it. It's wonderful the day that this is. This is the business that we are in as the church. But obviously with the, with the, the admonition that this is the day, the warning is that the night is coming. This is a time in which we have to tell our loved ones and our neighbors and our friends about Christ. We don't lay off just because it's the end times and the last days. This is Christ's warning for us. It's also the warning really for the, the virgins, the ones who were prepared and the ones who weren't prepared. Jesus talks about night as a period of inactivity, work while there is daylight because the night comes when no one can work. You know, the world sees the same signs that we see. They don't know what we know, but they see the same things in the newspapers. They see what's happening. They see what's happening all around the world. They see everything with ISIS and what have you. They see the same things. We shouldn't be like the world in our response. The world's opinion and the world's way is let us eat, drink and live and be merry and live for today and for tomorrow is, it's all over. Oh, the world's just going um, to hell in the handbasket as the old saying goes. We may as well just live whatever way we want, do whatever we can and enjoy our lives, not worry about things around the world. 
we should be a bit more concerned, and I don't mean about those trivial things about the Middle East or whatever. I'm talking about we should be a bit more concerned about eternal matters. We shouldn't be so flippant with them. We should be more purposeful. See, light speaks of activity, motion, purpose, relationship, warmth, growth. It speaks of positive things. Night always speaks of inactivity, the end of the day, dormant, cold, sleep. See, all these here, 10 virgins, all of them knew the season. They knew that the bridegroom was coming. But only five of them did something about it. Jesus in John 9 says, I must work. Uh, I must work. But it really, it's a we must work while it is daylight. We must continue and we must do what we can. Serve God as he has instructed us to. It was night when the bridegroom finally appeared. They had all day or even maybe days of preparation beforehand. I'll not go into all of the, the practices in those days for uh, the groom and uh, the bride and the marriage and all that type of thing. They had sat down and they had just watched time pass. Maybe they'd be lulled, you know, as many of us can be. This is where we have to guard against. We can be lulled into a false sense of security, a false sense of comfort by this world, by TV. And, oh, you know, it'll be okay. Just don't get yourself too worked up. You know, see, that, see, you're a Christian now, you know, just don't get too excited about God. You know, there's no reason to go and praise him all day long or, or listen to Christian music in the car and praise him with your hands up, you know, glorifying God. There's no need to do that. See if your hand raising for church. See if you're praying in, in, in the spirit for church and the prayer meeting and things like that there. Don't get too worked up. I tell you, we need to get worked up. We need... As the people of God, we need a bit of urgency in our lives. If we're recognizing the times and the seasons, we need, to be, we need a bit of a sense of he's coming. You know, that is one of the wonderful things about knowing Christ is coming again. I can remember in school, my teacher was in the class. We, I was in A3. Um, and I can remember we had a really terrible class. I had some right bullies. Um, one of them actually emailed me not too long ago apologizing. <laughs> But the, as soon as the teacher stepped out of the class, what happened? Everyone went mad. They went wild. Forget, the teacher would say, I want you to read the next chapter and I'll be, you know, and you, we wouldn't have read it unless he said, I'm coming again. Unless he said, I'll be back in five minutes and I'll ask you questions. It's not what Christ has done. I've given you a mission. Go ye into all the world. Be my disciples, be my witnesses. Be my people, read the word. Serve me and I'll come back. I want you to be ready. I want you to be a bride without spot or wrinkle. Isn't that what he's done? I'm coming again. Not that we run around as in a bit of panic, but with a sense of purpose and a sense of urgency to serve him and do what he has told us to do. Where is our passion for God? Where's our passion for his word? Where's our passion for prayer?
get to a certain age and everyone's talking about retiring. Everyone's talking about pensions. All talking about, oh, you need to have a wee bit of money put away or uh, something coming in. And everyone over 40 smirking. Are we looking just merely for the crack in the earth that's coming for us? Or are we looking for the crack in the sky when the trumpet sounds? You know, Jesus felt this urgency. He was aware that the time was now. It is daylight now. He was aware of it. He came from a place that knew no time, a timeless place beyond our, our world and our understanding. He came from eternity to a place that is so consumed with time. What was his first recorded words? I must be about my father's business. Even as a child, he knew that he had to get, in, had to get, get into work. Now, he, he learned obedience. He was obedient to his family and he was obedient to the father, but he still felt that urgency. I must be about my father's business. I cannot wait. I can't leave it aside. I can't just spin my wheels. I must be about my father's business. It consumed him, even as a child. Night was coming and he knew it. He was aware of it on some level. I'm not gonna say what, how his understanding developed and grew, but he was, in, he was aware I had been coming to this earth for such a time as this. The early church was aware of it. How did they greet each other? Maranatha, the Lord is coming. How do we greet each other? Maranatha, five more years, now we're tiring. <laughs> Have you seen the times, the seasons? Five years and the Lord might, not, might be here. <sighs> it looks like I'm smoking, but it's a corn. <laughs> you, you know. <laughs> Piece of corn, ah, oh, look, the times and seasons are. She's some heifer, you know. We need that urgency, that sense that the times and seasons are upon us. And we've got daylight now, the day of grace to serve God. There's two ways to evaluate how Jesus used the word must. I must work while it's daylight, he said there. Um... Verse four says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. On the one hand, must can be used as a, people can use the word must in the sense of, I must do that, otherwise I'm gonna be out of a job. I must do that, otherwise I'm gonna be out of a house. I must do that, otherwise she's gonna kick off because there's no food in the house. I must do that, otherwise X, Y, and Z will happen. You know, if I don't take those tablets, oh, I'm gonna be creaking and sore tomorrow. Oh, I must do that. There's that sense where must is an obligation. That sense where must is something that is a chore, that is no joy in it, no peace in it, no pleasure in it. It is a slavish type of must where I must do that. Oh, I must go to church. It's only one degree outside and I have to go to church. I must go. There's a sense where people use the word must in that way. There's no pleasure in it and often very little satisfaction when we use that kind of must. 
Even a worthwhile task is robbed of its joy if it is seen as something born out of obligation and necessity. But the second kind of must. The second way to look at the word must, as used by Jesus, is of the heart and the will. When knowledge has gone beyond the brain to the heart, and has been confirmed by the heart and absorbed, uh, been confirmed and absorbed by the heart, which in turn motivates us and energizes us into action. This kind of must is the dynamic kind that the five wise virgins experienced. They must be prepared for the bridegroom's return. Jesus, his entire life was lived. I must serve God. I must work now for it's daylight. We can look at praying and reading the Bible and coming to church and we can look at those things and say, I must pray, I must do this. But I learned, I learned years ago, the other way of looking at it is, yes, I get to pray. Yes, I get to bend the knee and the King of Kings will hear me. Yes, I get to open the words, the same scriptures that people have been opening for years and the scriptures will speak to me. Yes, this is one I don't understand. People who take the other view. Yes, I get to go to church and hear someone preach. You know what? God has done so much in my life through the preaching of the word. He has transformed my mind and my understanding through the preaching of the word. No, okay, it's not every service, but it might be this one. It might be this one. So I'm not gonna miss one. There's too many people think, if God's gonna speak to me, he's got Sunday morning and that's it. Too many people think like that. You've got a half hour, and if he's, he's not shorter than that, <laughs> I'm not going to be happy with him. So for these wise virgins, no cho- for, for the wise virgins, and for this, this idea of the, the positive must, no cho- chore uh, was, was, was arduous for them. Uh, <laughs> sorry. For them, it was no chore to ensure they had oil in their lamps. For them, it was, it, was hardly a, it was hardly a hardship to watch for the bridegroom. Yes, there was an everyday element to it as it could have taken a few days. And there's an everydayness to our walk with Christ. There's an everydayness with it, but it was no chore. And it, sh- it shouldn't be a chore to us. On the contrary, it was a mission. It was something fulfilling. It was something wonderful and joyous for the wise virgins. They were like, the bridegroom comes. After the first cry went up, I, I bet you, if I had been there, I'd have been going, the bridegroom comes. Oh, great. And I'd have joined in and we'd have all been praising God. I wouldn't have been standing. It would have been a joy. He has arrived. He's coming. You see C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters, they talk, these two demons are talking about how they're going to manipulate the Christians and how they're going to, to, to distract them from what God wants them to do. They start talking about what they're, there's this guy every morning, he goes out and he, he walks the, 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 the streets around his area. He walks the country lanes. And when he's out there, he's talking to God and they have a, they have a chat all the time and they meet every day and they, he gives them, God gives them peace and strength for the day. And the, the elder demon speak, or the greater demon speaking to the lesser demon says, yes, well, that's okay, but you have to change the way he looks at that. You have to change the way he looks at that time with God and tell him that he's going out for a walk for exercise. 
He's got a wee bit of that middle-aged bread and he needs to lose it. And whenever he starts to look at it as a chore and he starts to look at it as something he has to do, that is, falls into the category of the first slavish type of must, then he'll not do it any longer. But if we remember and we remind ourselves that we have a joy and a peace and we have a God who's a great God. He said, absolutely fabulous. This first type of must, which is an obligation, is as an Egyptian taskmaster that stands over us. But the second kind of must, the must with enthusiasm, with God in us, comes from inside. It comes from prompted to us by the Holy Spirit. Whenever we feed upon his word and we pray and we're in that communion with God, God does a wonderful thing in us. Remember Jesus said in John 4, he says, it is my meat to do the will of he who sent me. I'm breaking these in. Meat speaks of nourishment, refreshment, sustenance, and the essentials of life. Do we think of reading and spending time in God's word and in his house and in, in prayer and sharing the faith as, as something that's vital to us? Vital? The life of Jesus is marked by events that he must do, things that he felt compelled to do, that he felt that this is the time. I am here for this purpose and I have to do it. Even before this event we've read here in John chapter nine, if we read even just the first the verse just before it, the verse just before it says, he'd been having an argument with these religious people and he says, then, sorry, it says, then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. And then verse nine, it says, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who's blind from birth. So he'd come out of the temple as distance down the road, obviously at some point he witnessed this blind man and he was moved and he must touch him, he must heal him, he must meet his need and he must tell people that this is a day of grace. This is my must. I must do this now because the opportunity to do it will not always be here. <clears throat> I do believe that God is doing something in our midst. I do believe that God is stirring us. We have all recognized that these are the last days. But I believe God is moving on our hearts. He's moving in us as a, as a congregation. I believe he's stirring us up once again to seek his face like never before. I believe that he's moving in us and, and driving us to our knees. There was a very good turnout this week in the prayer meeting. A very good turnout. And you know what? There's people coming who haven't come for a while. And that's wonderful, absolutely fabulous, as Trump says. It's great to see, it's great to know that God is moving in us and that he won't be happy for us to sit back. He won't let us slip into some comfort zone and just sort of sit there. He wants to challenge us. He wants to stir us. He wants to provoke us onto good works. He wants, to, he wants us to move on and to move deeper and to move stronger and to move in him. 
not to be happy with the status quo, not to be happy with the way things have always been, not to be happy just to sit and watch as other people go out and share the word. We should be the generation just before the, the Lord's return that it makes the biggest noise, not the one who passes out with a wee whimper. There's the Lord. Great. We should be the ones who are standing on our toes, jumping and shouting and praising God, saying our deliverer has come, our redeemer's on his way. Full of enthusiasm, expecting him, happy and joyous and wonderfully looking forward to him. We need to stir ourselves up. If it's not happening in us already, we need to ask God, work on me, stir me, move me. Don't let me fall asleep. These are the last days. We need to serve him more, be more passionate about his, our relationship with him, be more passionate about the word, about prayer. What a wonderful thing prayer is, and yet so neglected. These are the last days. We shouldn't be sitting in our car on cruise control, just waiting, just cruising along. I used to, I, I, I never had a car with cruise control for years. I remember I used to live out past Ballyclare and coming down the motorway, down that from Sandy Nose down into Belfast. It was great because you put it out of gear. It's almost like having cruise control, you free rule all the way down. We shouldn't be that generation. We really shouldn't. We have way too much at our fingertips. We have way too much access to the word of God way too much access to great books and scriptures and, and verses and, and writers, people, and way too much access to good sermons and, and, and music and things like that there. We shouldn't be the ones who just, <coughs> we should be the generation that walks in confidence in the word, knowing heresy and false teaching when we see it, not the ones who are swept up. There's so much of the word out there available for us. We should be the ones seeking God's face and known as a generation that prays because we appreciate the value of it. We should be. I believe the call is clear for us to be diligent in our Christian lives, to serve God with a renewed passion and vigor with an enthusiasm. You know that generation out there? That's what they're looking for. They're looking for people who be real about what they believe, who be passionate about what they believe. They've seen religion. They've seen people who go through the motions, who claim to know the Savior, who claim to know the Redeemer, who claim to be changed, and yet they're stale. They're cruising. They've identified the times and the seasons, and yet they just don't seem to be that fussed. We need to be the generations that's fussed, that's, that's excited about it, that's rejoicing in it, that is anticipating it. Because it's Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. Are we too mature? Are we too comfortable? These are not the last days and the end times for us to merely sit and watch these are, I believe, the last days for us to take part, to make the voice of God be heard again in our land and to our friends and our neighbors. Oh, they've heard it before. I don't care. Oh, I know a lot of things about Christ. No, you don't. Let me tell you the real truth. 
You think you know it. Let me tell you, he's, he's better than you think. Let us not just tick over, cruise. Let us once again renew our devotion to him, our love for him. Make it a reality in our lives. He is my everything. Is he? He is my everything. Things have gone bad, things have gone wild, but he is my everything. Everything. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.